0: So good to be with you today if you're here in the sanctuary or if you are in the fellowship hall or you're joining us in the courtyard or online. Welcome. Glad to have you here with us. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open up with me now to Romans chapter 7 this morning. Romans chapter 7, and we'll be picking up in verse 14 with a message entitled, The Battle Within. Romans chapter 7. Beginning in verse 14, if you would follow along with me. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Shall we pray together? Father, today we ask in Jesus' name that you would equip us and teach us what it is to be victorious in the midst of this spiritual battle that we're engaged in. And we ask this together now, in Jesus' name, amen. At the conclusion of Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul writes about a battle within, an internal war, a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. There have been some differing opinions on these verses concerning who it is that Paul is writing about. Some suggest that he is referring to a non-Christian who is under the law. Others believe that he's writing about a normal Christian. And still, others see within this passage that Paul is referring to a carnal Christian. As you look at the evidence presented when you study the differing opinions, you find they all have their convincing points. I believe personally that Paul is writing about a normal Christian who desires to do what is right and then finds himself frustrated when he falls short. In the context of the passage, I believe Paul is writing about his own personal experience, After his conversion, it's important to remember in chapter 7 that Paul has been writing about the law of God and how that it is impossible to be made righteous in the sight of God by keeping the law. Therefore, in light of, again, the context, I believe that the one that Paul is speaking about here is born again, saved, regenerate, converted, A normal Christian struggling with the flesh and trying to overcome. And within the fight with the flesh, he is ever aware of the fact that he is incapable of overcoming by the means of the law. And when he comes to this realization, he cries out to God for strength to overcome. Something else that's worth noting in studying this particular passage is that Paul changes the tense or the form of the verb in which he is writing. For example, in verse 4, Paul changes to what's called the first person plural because he intended to speak of the former experience of Christians who were Jews. Then in verse 7, Paul uses the first person singular and he writes in the past tense looking back as he described his own experience when he was an unconverted Pharisee. And then in verse 14, all the way to verse 25, Paul again uses the first person singular, and he writes now in the present tense. And he shares about his own experience since he became a Christian and an apostle. In other words, folks, he's describing a present struggle that he was having as a normal Christian. And you know something? I am very thankful for Romans chapter 7. I don't know about you, but if Paul the Apostle struggled, I realized, well, I guess I could, I struggled too. I experienced these exact same things that he's writing about here, this fight against the flesh. You see, before you are a Christian... There's no real struggle with the flesh. There's no great concern. There's no overwhelming desire to do what's right because the flesh dominates your life. You're already a prisoner in the spiritual war. You just don't know it. But when you get saved and you're set free from a life of bondage, when you're no longer dominated by the appetites of the flesh, when you become a Christian, Well, that is when you begin to engage in the conflict because now you do have a concern to live for Christ. And in seeking to live for him in this world, you discover this is a spiritual war zone. Sometimes we do the right thing. Other times we fail and we do the wrong thing. It's a battle within. That is what Paul is writing about in the concluding verses of this seventh chapter. He points out, beginning in verse 14, where the battle begins. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Paul states we know a few things. What do we know? First of all, we know the law is spiritual. We have a clear, intuitive knowledge that the law of God is good. It's holy. It's just. It's perfect. It comes from God. We know beyond the shadow of a doubt, the law is spiritual. The law is not fleshly. The law is not in question here. The law is spiritual. We know that. But we also know something else. We know that we are carnal. That's the problem. The word carnal refers to our weaknesses, to our frailties, to our imperfections, to our tendencies to give in and to compromise with the old life. We're saved and we are forgiven of our sin, but we still battle with sin. D.L. Moody said it this way. He said, when I was converted, I made a mistake. I thought the battle was already over, that the victory already won, that the crown was already in my grasp. I thought all the old things had passed away, that all things become new, that my old corrupt nature, the old life was gone. But I found out, After serving Christ for a few months, that conversion was only like enlisting in the army that there was a battle on hand. As believers, we are still exposed to temptations because we live in these fallen bodies. And sometimes the old desires still come knocking at the door of our heart, especially if you spent a long time in the habits and practices before you were saved. It doesn't mean that we are all together under their influence any longer because the Spirit of God is now at work within us. Nevertheless, there is the tendency to want to yield to the natural sinful inclinations and carry out those ungodly desires. Temptation does not go away when you get saved. In fact, you're probably now more aware of temptation than you were before. Because before you knew Jesus, you yielded to any temptation in front of you. There was no struggle at all. But now that you've yielded your life to the Spirit of God, there's the battle that takes place. And the enemy wants to take you out. And all of us at times fall short of God's standard of righteousness. We don't love the world system, nor the devil who runs it. However, the allurements and the attractions of this world still call and beckon for us to go back. The voices in this world can be loud, and they are strong, attempting to drown out the voice of the Spirit of God. But praise the Lord. We can be victorious because with every temptation that we face, here's what the Lord promises. He makes the way of escape. There's always a way of escape. There's always an exit out of every temptation you will encounter. The question is whether or not we will actually take the way of escape when faced with temptation. Paul mentions also here the complexity of the battle. Look at verse 15. He says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. I read one commentator that commented on this verse, and he said that in light of what Paul had written, he must have been a golfer. (laughs) I don't golf, but I've tried, and this is exactly my story. No, Paul's not talking about golf here. It's clear that Paul's talking about the experience of a saved man. Because he says he wants to do good and that he hates sin. An unsaved person doesn't say that. They love sin and pursue it. The only problem is that it appears he was initially attempting to do what was right in his own strength. It could only be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. The problem wasn't the desire to do what was right. It wasn't the knowledge of what was right, but it was the need for the power to do what was right There's a desire in the heart and in the mind to follow God's law. But there are times when we end up doing the exact opposite and we despise the fact that we did it. And we wonder, why did I just do that? Why did I just say that? Why did I act that way? We don't want to be selfish, or we shouldn't. We don't want to be prideful, insensitive, hateful, spiteful, bitter. But there are moments when all of those things Come to the surface, and then there's the frustration because I know that it's wrong. I have this feeling of being discouraged and even at times condemned. Do you ever feel that way, Christian? You ever wake up and have just a wonderful devotional time with the Lord? I mean, it feels like the heavens open and the Spirit of God descended upon you in the form of a dove. As if you could hear an an audible voice. This is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. I mean, it's just such a wonderful time. And you've committed everything to the Lord. You surrendered all tears and worship. Just marvelous experience. And you emerge from the secret place only to be confronted by conflict and a barrage of temptations and challenges at work and people on the road and your children aren't doing what you wanted them to do. And then you lose it. And you feel so grieved. How did I do that? You want to go back into the secret place and hit reboot. Can we start that one more time? But you're already out there. Lord, I don't want to do that. Lord, I don't want to say that. I don't want to act like that. Paul understood that battle. In verse 16, he said, if then I do what I will not to do, well, I agree with the law that it's good. But now... It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. The fact that Paul is doing what he doesn't want to do and he hates it shows that he is not in opposition to God's law, but he agrees with it. He actually struggled with it before it was no struggle. But the fact that he recognized he just did what he hated shows that he wants to be obedient to God's word, to God's law. Now, when Paul says, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, he isn't trying to say that he is dodging his responsibility or his actions. He's not saying, oh, sorry, you can't blame me. It's a sin inside of me. It's not, I didn't do that. It was the sin in me. Don't be offended. Don't be grieved. It's not me. The devil actually had me do it, and I'm, you know don't blame me. Paul's not saying that here. He's saying, what 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 he's implying here is, I don't want to do that. That's what he's saying. The man who knows Jesus, the woman who wants to live for Christ is a new creation. You don't want to disobey God's law. You want to walk according to it. But the sinful desires seek to attach themselves to us and pull us back in the wrong direction. This is the battle. Someone said that sin is like a ruler that has been exiled. It no longer reigns over our lives because there's a new king upon the throne. Yet the exiled ruler manages to survive. He no longer dominates and rules the inner life, yet he constantly tries to undermine, to gain control, to attack, to wreak havoc through the means of the flesh, the old nature, that at one time we were subject to and pull us back. Someone said that the Christian life or the Christian is somewhat like an unskilled artist. He beholds a beautiful scene, and when he sees it, he desires to paint that scene. But because of his lack of ability, when he paints, it keeps him from doing the scene justice. Like when I draw, people say, what is that? And I have to describe it. There's no problem with the scene. The scene is perfect. It's beautiful. The problem isn't with the canvas. It's not with the paints or the brushes. The problem is with the painter. What we need is the master artist. We, We need the one who calls us his workmanship, his work of art to take hold of our hand, to guide the strokes in order that we would paint that which we could never paint apart from him. I need the Lord to step in and help me within this battle that I'm facing, I'm incapable of overcoming on my own. In light of the struggle, he comes to the obvious conclusion in verse 18. Paul said, here's something else I know. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. To will is present with me. In other words, I want to do what's right, but... But how to perform what's good, I, I don't find. Paul realized that within the sinful, fallen nature of man, there is nothing good. He wasn't one of those people that said, "Well, the man is essentially good. He just needs to discover his goodness." Paul didn't say that. He knew that man was innately sinful, born with a sinful nature. And he knew the battle. In writing to the Galatians, he put it this way. Check this out. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Listen to what Paul said. It's another way of describing what he's writing here. He said, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. He's describing a battle between the old nature and the spirit of God working within you. There is a fight you know when it starts? When you wake up. The moment you're laying there in bed and your eyes pop open, it's like the bell goes off. Ding, ding, round one, here it is. And usually the, the, the first thoughts in our mind, oftentimes they're, they're of the flesh. I need coffee. This, this flesh is longing for something. But then the spirit says, oh, but I also need my Bible. And then the flesh says, I've got to go to the gym and work out. But then I, then I realized the Spirit says, but you also need to get in the Word so you can strengthen your, you know, and there's this battle going on. And then, and then I want to do this, then I got to do that. And then I have, to, I have to scrub and wash and clean and comb and everything. You know, the flesh is just constantly, but, you know, there's a fight. And here's the amazing thing. Because we're in the midst of this fight, whatever is fed the most wins the day. Whatever you feed the most And so if you fuel the flesh and fuel the flesh and fuel the flesh, then when it comes time for them to engage with one another in some difficult situation, the flesh just dominates the spirit and just get wrecked. But on the other hand, if you're feeding the spirit and feeding the spirit, and then so when when the battle is on, suddenly the spirit overcomes the flesh. You walk in the spirit, you do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if you walk in the flesh, well, then you, you dominate the life of the spirit. What I'm telling you, folks, this is real Christianity, This is normal stuff. If you thought this wasn't normal, that's why we're in Romans 7, because it is. This is something that every single Christian will face. Sometimes we want to find something good in our flesh. Oh, surely there's something good in the flesh. Actually, the Bible says there's nothing good in the flesh. It says those that are in the flesh cannot please God. There's nothing good about the flesh. You know there's really only one thing you can do with the flesh? Crucify it, the Bible says Consume it on the altar. The Lord loved to have flesh burning. I mean, it was just like it, it was the altar, it was a sacrifice, it was a consecration. That's what it was. The flesh just being consumed. That's what the Bible will say we'll get to in Romans present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Just the flesh is consumed. And so there's a fight. Thomas Akempis, he wrote about this battle. Listen to what he said. He said, I desire to enjoy thee inwardly, but I can't take thee. I desire to cling to heavenly things, but the fleshly things and unmortified passions, they depress me. I will in my mind to be above all these things, but in spite of myself, I'm constrained to be beneath. I find myself being grievous to myself. He said, Oh, what I suffer within. When I think on heavenly things, my mind then, I find the fleshly things come against me when I pray. You ever found that some of the most difficult times when the, when the flesh is really just is when you're seeking to pray or worship or study God's word or serve it it is like there's this battle it's it's an it's an amazing thing when you an interesting thing rather when you start to worship why is it that suddenly you can think about all the horrible things you did 25 years ago, like in a moment, Lord, I love you. Oh man, that is just, where did that, it's the flesh. The devil knows he wants to rob you of being able to worship the Lord. He wants to condemn you in the midst of it. And so you fight through that, you have to battle it. Paul says the will or the desire is present with me. I want to do what's right. I want to serve the Lord. I want to be the man that God's called me to be. Ladies, you want to be the woman that God's called you to be. That's a desire within but how to perform it. It's not in our own strength. We cannot serve the Lord and overcome the flesh in our own strength. And listen, the only thing that we'll get from God if we are trying to overcome in our, oh, our flesh with the means of the flesh is the opportunity to try. That's it. And we'll fail. How many Christians today are seeking to serve the Lord or overcome the flesh in their own ability. They're leaning on what they feel to be their own strength and and yet as they lean on the arm of the flesh, it's not able to support them. That's the frustration. Folks, the secret of self-control is to give control of yourself to God. That's the secret. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in every area of life. It's a work of the Spirit. It's a byproduct of the Spirit's work in my life. Are there areas of your life that are out of control? Those are the areas that I have to yield to the Lord and say, Lord, help me with this, whatever it might be. Paul said, if I do, verse 20, what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that dwells in me. This is the second time. This, Paul repeats this. He says it a little bit differently. There's a variation here slightly, but he says it again. It's, it's sin. There's this, this battle that I'm facing. So what did he discover? What did he discover in the midst of this battle between the flesh and the spirit? He knew that there was nothing good within him. The flesh is, is rotten, but he also discovered something else. Look at verse 21. Here's what I find. I find then a law. Evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law. I see another law in my members. Look at this, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Again, Paul clarifies, I delight To do what's good, I want to do what's good, I delight in the law of God, in the inward man, but there is another law at work. There's the law of the flesh, and it is fighting hard against the spirit, and they are battling one with another. The battle was spiritual, and it could not be fought with carnal methods. It's as if Paul had two authorities seeking to speak into his life, the higher authority and the lower authority. And sometimes the higher authority, he was succumbing to the lower. And as he yielded to the lower, it sought to take him captive. I want you to also notice something here that I think is worth pointing out. And that is that Paul mentions the mind. I find it warring against the law in my my mind. So often, where the battle is fought most intensely is in the mind depression in the mind discouragement in the mind anger i mean it all starts in that in this area in the mind in the heart as it were the seat of our emotions the bible says as a person thinks so he is proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 that is why it is so important that we guard the thought life, because the thoughts affect the actions. It affects the speech. It affects everything. Where my mind is set. You know, the Bible encourages us to set our mind on things above, to have the mind of Christ. Paul said in writing to the Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ. Scripture tells us several things about the mind. First, the Bible says that the mind is naturally, that is unconverted, naturally is opposed to God. Colossians 1.21 tells us this. It says, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. The Bible also says that a person can have a mind that is blinded. In writing to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, but even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded. An unconverted mind is in opposition to God. A blinded mind doesn't see the truth of God. But third, the Bible talks also about a doubtful mind, an anxious mind. Jesus said, don't have an anxious mind. All these things the nations of the world seek after, but seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Luke chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. Paul said, you remember in Romans 14, he who doubts is condemned. The Bible warns in James chapter one, verse eight, about a double-minded man. Carries with it the idea of one who wishes to be secure in both worlds. He doesn't want to give up the sins of this world, but he doesn't want to give up heaven either. God says we can't have it both ways. The Bible speaks of a double mind. But then the Bible also talks about a renewed mind. It says in Romans 12 two, it says don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Folks, the battle so often is in the mind. And the flesh is warring for it and the spirit is warring for it. And who do we yield to? Who am I going to yield my thoughts to? Peter knew of this struggle personally. In fact, Peter, in writing to the church that was struggling through trials, through tribulation, he said this He said to them, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. How does that start? It starts with girding up the loins of your mind. When Peter, this is, this is an illustration that Peter gives. Men in those days wore long robes, for lack of a better word, And when you wanted to actually do something, you had to gird up the robe. You would bring it through. You would tie it off. Your legs would be free to move, to work, to fight. Peter says, you need to gird up. We need to gird up the loins of our mind. We need to have a sharp mind, sober-minded, clear thinking, biblically thinking in light of all that we're engaged with culturally that says the exact opposite, and we don't conform to the former lust. It's a mentality. It's a way of thinking. It's a perspective that is altered by the Spirit of God. I have to see things differently, and when Jesus takes hold of your heart, and when Jesus opens the mind that is blinded, suddenly your perspective changes. You see things differently. It's still a battle, it's still a battle to be desensitized to all things that are in the world and look at it as the world sees. The world has a completely different vision, but as a Christian, I need to have a mentality that is biblical, the mind of Christ. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, put it this way. Second Corinthians chapter 10, he said this, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds and every high thing that, and casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And this is what he said. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Those thoughts that aren't of the Lord, take them to the obedience of Christ. When that that thought comes in, that bitterness, that anger, that malice, that whatever it is, lack of self-control, these thoughts that are give them over to Christ renounce them don't own them they're not yours i don't want to think these things lord i turn these over let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight in jesus name help me god purify my mind lord purify my thoughts god folks if you're in the midst of a battle and we all are we've established that fact don't be discouraged Again, I love what Charles Spurgeon said concerning this battle. He said, it is some comfort when we feel a war within the soul to remember that it is an interesting phase of the Christian experience. Such as are dead in sin have never made proof of any of these things. The inward conflicts show us that we're alive. The fact that we're actually fighting it shows us that we're alive. That should be some sense of comfort. Any dead fish can float downstream. No problem. It takes one that's alive to actually go against the current. There is some life in the soul that hates sin. Even though it can't do as it would, he said, don't be depressed about it. Where there is pain, there is life. The fact that you're in the battle and the fact that you're fighting is a good thing. Fight the fight of faith, the Bible says. The struggle that Paul was subject to is the same one that we face. And Paul was frustrated with the situation, but it brought him to this place where he cried out to God. And you know why he cried out to God? The way that he does is because he realized human knowledge was not good enough to overcome in this battle. Paul knew the right thing to do, but the knowledge of what to do isn't enough To make me do what is right, I can have human knowledge of what is right, but no enabling to do what is right. Human knowledge isn't enough to overcome in this battle. Secondly, Paul knew that human resolve will not be good enough to overcome in this battle. I can resolve to make a decision that yes, I will overcome this I have decided to do and I'm going forward with it. But my resolve will be inadequate without the power of God's spirit working in and through me. You can have all the resolve in the world. You can make as many resolutions as you want, but if you don't have power to carry it out, then it's nothing more than a resolve or a resolution. Peter knew this well. You remember Peter said, Lord, if all of these guys deny you, I will never deny you. I am ready to die with you. And what happened to Peter? He denied the Lord three times. He failed. The resolve was there. The desire was there, but he didn't perform it. He tried to do it in his own strength. He was, thought he was stronger than he really was. And that unguarded strength became a weakness and he fell. And the same principle applies to us. Human resolve isn't good enough. Furthermore, human identification of the problem is limited. Paul could, and he did, accurately describe what the problem was, but limited in putting it right or changing the situation. He was unable to prescribe the cure in and of himself, that could adequately cure the disease within. And it's in these circumstances, Paul's mind was overwhelmed with the ungodliness that he had to battle with, and it led him to the place that he cried out for the cure. And that's found in verse 24, when he declares, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The word wretched A word we don't often use, but it's an important one in this context. It means miserable and distressed. It means exhaustion through hard labor. Paul cries out in a wail of anguish. He, He has come to the end of himself. And that's the best place to come to. Oh, wretched man that I am. Because unless we come to the end of ourselves, then we don't come to the beginning of God's resources. Listen, if we don't agree with what Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing, then we cannot claim Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can't have one without the other. I, I first of all recognize I don't have it in me. It's not in me. But that brings me to Christ, and everything is found in him. And through him, through Christ alone, I can do all of these things, including be victorious in the battle that surrounds me. Have you come to that place? Do you know your own inadequacy? I'll tell you this. This right here flies in the face of what culture preaches. You don't find too many best-selling novels entitled Wretched. Find out how miserable you really are. You don't find that. You find out how awesome you are, how great you are. How how you're the best. You just need to recognize it. Tap into your potential. You need to know who you are. You need to visualize it. You you know, and on and on and on it goes. Just puffing people's flesh up, you know, like a bloated fish. It's just trying to get us to buy into this whole thing. But it's not until you come to this place you realize, it's not in me. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not good. I realize that. I disagree with what the Bible says. But I also find that in Christ, my identity is in him. And that changes everything. Many Christians today struggling with this very thing. You'll notice that Paul doesn't say in verse 24, how can I deliver myself? Oh, wretched man that I am, how can I deliver myself? That's what a lot of people are saying today. They're asking how. The problem is they're not asking who. Paul asked who can deliver me. He didn't say how. But people want the how. Give me the plan. Give me the six-week program. No, six weeks is too long. Give me the 24-hour program, how to lose 100 pounds. I mean, people don't want, they want this quick fix. Give me something. I want it done now. Show me the plan. Show me the procedure. I'm on it. Just give me the program. And, And they want a program. They want the how. But the problem is you have to come to the who, to Christ. That's the answer. That's how you're delivered. It's through Christ alone. And so Paul says, Who can deliver me? And then he answers his own question in verse 25 with these marvelous words. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, with the flesh, the law of sin. He says, I'm thanking, the answer's found in Christ. I'm still battling. The flesh and the spirit are still warring against one another, but I thank you, God. I thank you, Christ, that there's where my victory is. That's the answer. It's Jesus. You may be in the intense battle this morning, even some of you summoning you to flee the things of the Lord, to go back to the old life and the temptation to pursue once you once, what, what you once left behind. Maybe you're considering giving up, but there's victory for you today. But I'll tell you this, it's not found in the law. It's not found in your resolutions. It's not found in you trying harder or your vain attempts in the flesh. It's only found in Christ. It's found through the power of the Holy Spirit, folks, and that's power enough. Paul discovered several things here. Sin dwelt in him, though he delighted in God's law. He discovered that his will was powerless to overcome; that sinful self was not his real self or who he wanted to be. And then he discovered that deliverance came through Jesus Christ. You say, "Okay, I know who the who. It's Jesus. What do I do?" A couple things, and then we'll conclude. First of all, there has to be honesty. Honesty. That's the place to start. Paul said, what a wretched man I am. We, we don't like to think that. We, we think much better of ourselves. We're, we're trained to think that. We're prone to think that. Our flesh thinks that. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not wretched. I know some people that are wretched, but that is not me. I am way better than at least... Half of the people I work with in my office, I'm pretty sure of that, I am not. they are wretched, but not me. All right, let's be honest. Let's agree with what the Bible says. Come into that place of I know what I am in light of what God says. And I'm gonna be honest with you, God. I'm not gonna to try to put on a facade or make you think that I'm something, I'm not. On my best day, I still fall short. Are you willing to be honest with yourself and with God? Don't believe the lie of this world. Don't believe the lie of Satan, which keeps you in that place of defeat honesty. But then you know what else follows? Humility. Humility. He says, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? That's Paul talking. The difference between honesty and humility is that honesty says, I'm a wretched man. And humility admits, I cannot save myself. That's humility. That's not false humility. That's just straight reality. I can't do it. I'm humble. And God the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's an honesty. Lord, okay, I see where I'm at. I've been justifying that. I've been trying to make excuses for that. I said it's the way I was raised. I said it was my you know, uh, Latin heritage. I said this, I said that. You found all of these reasons to excuse the life you've been living as opposed to just being honest with God. But then that follows humility. Humility follows that. There's honesty. There's humility. You, you can do a couple things with your sin. We can deny it. We can try to deal with it ourselves. That never works. Or we can admit it and turn to Christ. And thirdly, There needs to be a complete dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer to everything he just said about the struggle with sin. In a short time, we're going to come to Romans chapter 8. It's it's probably one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. Someone said, if your Bible ever falls to the ground and opens, it should open to Romans 8. That's how good it is. It's so wonderful. But you cannot appreciate Romans chapter 8 if you don't understand Romans 7. It's an understanding, Romans 7, that brings me to appreciation and gratitude for Romans chapter 8 that there's no condemnation because I'm in Christ. We're going to discover there's a provision for victory. There's provision for walking in the Spirit. There's provision to help in the struggle against the flesh. It's all there. It's not a formula. It's a person. It's Christ. It's the power of the Holy Spirit living in me. The things that I cannot produce within myself, the Spirit of God can produce within me. It is mine to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit with honesty and humility and complete dependence on Christ. Some believers today seek to live the Christian life in the power of their own flesh. They don't realize that there is a power of the Holy Spirit available. In the Old Testament. Joel prophesied. He said that in the last days that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. It was a promise. When you come to the New Testament, John the Baptist, speaking of Jesus, he said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus said on the last day of the great feast in John chapter seven, he said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. John's gospel, he commentates and said, this Jesus spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, which had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Well, he's been glorified, and the Spirit is now available. In John chapter 14, Jesus said to the disciples, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to be with you, he's going to be in you. Then in Luke's gospel, Jesus said after he had risen from the dead, it says he breathed on the disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. I believe when Jesus said it and he breathed on them that they received it. But right after that, he said, now I want you to go into Jerusalem and I want you to wait for the Spirit to come upon you. There's a threefold relationship that the believer has with the Spirit of God. He is with you, he is in you, and then the Bible says in Acts, he comes upon you. That is, he empowers you For service. The question is whether or not you have been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts went up to Ephesus, he met a group of believers. But he noticed that in this group of believers, something was missing. They believed in Christ, they they were born again, they were disciples, they were Christians. But Paul asked them, he said, Did you receive the power of the Spirit when you believed? The baptism of the Spirit? Did you receive that, this empowering? They said, We didn't even know there was this power of the Spirit available. And so Paul prayed for them, and they were all baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. There was a secondary, subsequent work in the life of the believers. And you find it throughout the book of Acts. You don't hear much about it today. Some people like to look at the book of Acts and see it, that's just a historical record. God, God is not working that way any longer. He doesn't do that. The gifts aren't for today and the spirit isn't working today and this isn't, that's, that was historical. That, that's done for today. You can't find scripture text that says it's done. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is still working. He's still empowering. He's still providing the power of the Holy Spirit to those who would ask. Amen? Jesus put it this way, and I, this is what I love. I love what Jesus said. He said, if you fathers, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, listen to this, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. That's the prerequisite. It's not something you earn. Okay, I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to get it together, and then maybe he'll give me this. He just said, just ask for it. Just ask for it and I'll give it to you. So listen, folks, as we conclude today, if you're here, and you're like those in Ephesus in the book of Acts, and you said, well, I don't even know, there's something more available. What what is it? Whatever it is, I, I want it. Then I'm just gonna pray for you. Very simple prayer. Asking Jesus to do what he promised to do, to baptize you with the power of the Holy Spirit. I do believe the Bible teaches one baptism and many fillings thereafter. (laughs) <laughs> there's not a day that goes by that I don't say, God, fill me fresh with the Holy Spirit. Dio Moody said, I ask the Lord to fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit because I leak. I need, I need fresh filling, fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. But perhaps you've never had that. The Greek word is epi, the coming upon experience of the Holy Spirit in your life. Man, what a great day to receive that. And so, would you bow your heads with me now as we pray? And I'm going to give you that opportunity just to just to receive it. It's very simple, nothing strange, nothing aberrant, just Bible and promises being fulfilled that were spoken by the Lord. And so as eyes are closed and heads are bowed today, just between you and Jesus and myself here today, if if you've never been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, but that's something you desire, would you just raise your hand up? I'd love to pray for you today. All right, awesome. Praise God, around the room today. That's so great. All right. Praise the Lord. Once you raise your hand up, you can put it down. Anybody else today? You'd say, you know what? I, I want to be baptized with the power. All right. That's awesome, man. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Anybody else today? All right. I see you right there in the front and on the side. Praise God. It's exciting. It's encouraging. All right, bro. I see you right there. Amen. The baptism with the Holy Spirit. All right. See you right there, too. That's so great. God speaking he's working the spirit of God moving. We didn't do this first service. However, I feel <laughs> as we're just I'm trying to be led by the spirit here. I think it would be beneficial. And again, it's not a, you don't have to do this, but it it would be good. And I don't think there's anything unbiblical about it. But if you would like to, and this is what happened to me. I remember they said if you want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This was I was at Calvary Costa Mesa. I was 18 years old and I was a Christian. I love the Lord. But they said, if you'd like to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, would you just come up and we're gonna pray for you. And we we just came up, me and a few other kids. And there was nothing weird. Nobody pushed on my forehead. Nobody breathed on me. Hit me with a coat. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. They just prayed a simple prayer and we received. So, If that's you and you raised your hand, why don't you just just come down here this morning? Let's just, let's do this. Let's just come down here, just come down here. There's many of you that raised your hand today and you wanna receive that, just come. It's a gift. Just come and receive it. I just wanna pray for you today. Just get up and come. It's awesome. Just get up and, and just come right down here. Yeah. Those of you, perhaps, who are experienced in this, you've you've been with people and prayed over them to receive the Holy Spirit, maybe you want to stand and come lay hands on some of these people. There's freedom in this place to do that. Just get up out of your seat. Some of you pastors, some of you leaders, some of you who have experience in this, we're just going to pray for these who are asking to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. By the way, there's still room up here if you want to get up. You're like, oh man, it's too crowded now. No, get up, come on. If you need to come, if you raise your hand, just come and receive, and we'll pray for you. Just come right down here. There's like this whole section right here. It's like right open. So just come. That's fine. Spread out. Just together. Come on now. That's awesome. Just come right in. And God knows who you are. Anybody else this morning? If you're, oh, by the way, if you're in the uh, fellowship hall, you also can come in. I mean, the Spirit can work. It doesn't have to go through doors or anything, but, but we'd love to have you in here. If you're out in the courtyard, you can, you can come in, and uh, we'll wait for you if you're out there. I can see you through the window come out, come on in, and uh, just come right in right now, and if you're online, well, the Spirit of God works through technology, too, so the Lord knows, all right, anybody else? All right, simple prayer, yeah, amen, and I just encourage you that as, as we pray, and we're just, we're asking the Lord just to do what He promised, so we have confidence, but I would just encourage you as we pray here in a moment, in the quietness of your heart, that you just say, Lord, I receive. And I do believe that God will impart, the Bible says that the spirit of God distributes gifts as he so wills, it's completely up to him. He distributes all different gifts to different parts of the body. And so whatever those giftings are and callings are, God just he imparts those perfectly to the fruit of the spirit will begin to, to flourish in your life. Those things that are mentioned in the scripture So I would just encourage you, as we pray, just say, God, I receive it. Whatever you have for me, I just, I receive it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and I'm so grateful, Lord, that you have provided us with power to live the life you've called us to live, the power to be your witnesses, it says in the book of Acts. And Lord, we do wanna be a witness and to be bold. And so, Lord, based upon the promise in your word, I pray for those that are standing here this morning that you would right now baptize them with the power of the Holy Spirit. God, that they would sense in this moment that coming upon experience that you promised you're the same God. Lord, right now, fill these folks here today overflowing Lord like it says with the power of the Holy Spirit and that in the days to come Lord they would see the, the manifestation the fruit of that within their life the gifts of the Spirit being imparted poured out Lord right now and I just encourage you folks just in the quietness of your heart Lord I receive it Receive it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank him for it. Praise you, God. Lord, we give you all the praise, all the glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys this morning. It's awesome. Let's all stand together. (laughs) I wanna mention to you, it's in moments like these that some people think, who came for prayer? Did it happen? Did it take? How do I know? (laughs) You know how you know? You just see it in the days ahead. It's very practical. The Spirit of God working in your life and 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 just you'll you just know it just it's something that just manifests itself as you just walk with the Lord. I do believe because we asked that He did it and just receive it by faith. And so be encouraged in that. We say, well I didn't feel listen. It's not always about feelings. Yes, God gives us feelings, but you know what? It's about faith, it's about trusting God. He said it, I believe it. He's done it in my life. And so anybody says, hey, have you been baptized? Yeah, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. When? It was that one Sunday in August. The Lord did it in my life. If you need prayer for anything else today, I would encourage you to come up after the service. There'll be pastors and leaders up front that would love to pray with you. If not, may the Lord bless you and keep you, encourage you this week. Many of you, like myself, no doubt have been saying, "What's going on in this world?" Have you thought any, had any of those thoughts recently? Or what's happening in this world? Why does it keep going the direction that it's going? Well, I've invited a very good friend of mine, somebody I've worked with closely and served alongside of, Don Stewart is going to be here Wednesday night. I would encourage you to come out, at 7 p.m. Don does a show, world news, or, um, breaking news every, pretty much every day now on his channel, but he also. He's on the air, he's on the radio, but God's given Don a, a, a unique gift and a voice in the church, which I think is, is really important in the times in which we're living. And I'm um, so thankful for this guy. And he's exci- he loves Calvary San Juan. He's always like, when am I coming back to your church? And so I'm like, Wednesday. So he's gonna be out here and he loves you guys. He also, uh, it's great because he brings a lot of resources that are helpful. Um, that you can can study and, and he's, he's written the guy's written so many books I mean he's, the guy's written more he sent he sent me like twelve books I'm like bro I said, as long as you sign them all but I, there's so many of them like you're a machine man anyway you're gonna be encouraged and I would encourage you to bring somebody else this place is gonna be packed so come ready to receive and um, and you're gonna be encouraged The Lord bless you.